Welcome to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems with Colin Hanna, President of Let Freedom Ring USA, offering reasonable and rational answers for the most important pressing questions of our day. Now here's Colin Hanna. Welcome to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. I'm your host, Colin Hanna from Let Freedom Ring, and today we have a real treat. This is going to be a show unlike any of our other shows because we have with us a gentleman who has been an actor, or if you will, a reenactor, of one of the most famous and I think uh, laudable people in American history, Frederick Douglass, uh, immediately after the 4th of July, and of course, of all of Frederick Douglass's many famous speeches, the single most famous is his speech called What to a Slave is the 4th of July? So we have with us Phil Darius Wallace, who has for the last uh, 17 years traveled the country as Frederick Douglass. He has spoken with uh, civic groups, historical groups, churches, uh, schools, explaining to people something about the remarkable person Frederick Douglass was, but also presenting himself as Frederick Douglass. And since we have uh, this time of year upon us, the the annual Independence Day celebration, it's a great opportunity to introduce this audience to what Frederick Douglass said about the 4th of July. So let me welcome Phil Darius Wallace to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, I was I was told that Frederick Douglass had a deep, rich, sonorous voice, uh-huh. and you seem to have uh, acquired exactly the same <laughs> the same gift. So, yes. uh, thank you, thank uh, per- you, particularly for a radio show. Uh, you're you're in great voice today. Oh well, great. <laughs> so, um, when you do Frederick Douglass at, at or around the Fourth of July, tell us how you present Douglas before you start to give us the actual speech. The fascinating thing about uh, the Douglas invitation originally to give this speech was that he did not, he was invited to give it on the 4th of July itself, and he said, no, I don't want to give it on the 4th. I, I will speak to your group on the 5th. Set the stage for that, if you would. Sure. Well, Frederick Douglass made that choice because he made a conscious decision not to celebrate the 4th of July until the slaves were freed. Because when Frederick Douglass was invited, uh, slavery was still happening in America. And so, but what we have to remember, too, though, is that he was uh, invited to speak to friends, people that had compassion for him as, as he did for them. And so in delivering this speech, he's delivering it to friends. So on the one hand, he is speaking with uh, great compassion and love. And on the other hand, he's speaking with great truth uh, and authenticity and pain Hmm. and revelation so that his friends that invited him to speak on the 4th of July would understand why he feels the way that he feels and understand also that still there was a a deep need and a a great need for um, slaves to be emancipated. The principal theme of the speech, and I'm going to ask you to give some excerpts from it, Mm -hmm. but the principal theme is that as, as wonderful as the celebration of the nation's founding 
and the original vision and ideals of our founding fathers were, there was, at this time, as long as slavery was still in legal existence, there was a tension, a conflict between the ideals that caused our founders to eventually support the striving for independence, the creation of the Declaration of Independence and its endorsement, ultimately uh, the creation of a new form of government under the Constitution. Each of those expressed ideals. Uh, Some people talk about America as a great experiment. Mm -hmm. And indeed it was at that time in the uh, mid to late 18th century. There, There wasn't a lot of experience with a modern democracy. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a, was a revolution that we fought to gain independence from, from England, whose central organizing principle was the word liberty. Hmm. And yet, within a nation founded to advance the cause of liberty, there were millions who were enslaved. Right. And the conflict, the tension between the ideals of liberty, the ideals of the Constitution, the ideals of the Declaration on the one hand, and the reality that not all of those in America were able to enjoy the fruits of the successful revolution and the creation of this new government, the fruits of liberty, uh, is is where this tension comes from. So Mm -hmm. that's the stage uh, on which Frederick Douglass uh, made his address. So may I invite you to get into character okay. <laughs> and, and come before our audience mm-hmm. as Frederick Douglass, as he would have addressed uh, his friends on the 5th of July, uh, 1854. Mm-hmm. So six years before Lincoln's election and uh, before even the start of the Civil War, let alone its end. So, Mr. Douglass... Welcome to the show. (laughs) Friends and fellow citizens, he who could address this audience without a quailing sensation has stronger nerves than I have. I do not ever remember to have appeared before anyone more shrinkingly, nor with greater distrust of my abilities than I do this day. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, the distance between the platform and the slave plantation from which I escaped is considerable. And the difficulties in getting from the latter to the former are by no means slight that I am here today to me is a matter of astonishment as well as of gratitude. With little experience and less learning, I've managed to place my thoughts hastily and imperfectly together, entrusting to your patient and generous indulgence, I shall proceed to lay them before you. This, for the purpose of this celebration, is the fourth of July. It is the birthday of your national independence, 
It is to you what the Passover was to the emancipated people of God. It carries your minds back to that day and to the act of your great deliverance. May the patriot not hope that high lessons of wisdom and of justice and of truth shall yet guide her in her destiny. Were America older, the patriot's heart might be sadder, the reformer's brow heavier. America's future might be shrouded in gloom, and the hope of her prophets go out in sorrow. Yet, this consolation in the thought, America is young. <laughs> Fellow citizens, pardon me and allow me to ask, why am I called here to speak to you today? What have I or anyone I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? Am I to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude resulting from the blessings of your independence to us? Would to God, for both your sake and ours, an affirmative answer would truthfully be returned to the question, then would my task be light and my labor easy and delightful, for who would not lend his voice to the hallelujahs of a nation's jubilee when the chains of servitude have been torn from its limbs? But such is not the state of the case. I say with a sad sense of disparity between us, I am not included within the pale of your glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us, the rich inheritance of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness bequeathed by your forefathers is shared by you, not me. The sunlight that brought life and health to you brought stripes and death to me. This Fourth of July is yours not ours. You may rejoice. We must mourn. Wow. Well, Mr. Douglas, that was very, that was very powerful. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, how large an audience did he speak before at that time? It was an audience of about 500 people. Extraordinary. And how long did the full speech go? At 12 cents per person, by the way, oh. <laughs> uh, which was actually a lot for during that time. Uh, the speech was two hours. So we've um, heard just just a small portion of it. That's right. But we begin to see some of the power and some of the eloquence uh, with which he spoke. Oh, yes. And and he was uh, in the 18th uh, in the 19th century. He was, in fact, the leading orator throughout America. That's right. A lot of people don't realize that. There are very few uh, folks outside of history buffs who really understand the character and the scope and the power and the influence of Frederick Douglass. We're going to explore that a little bit more in the next few moments. Great. We need to take a break now, but I look forward to being back with Phil Darius Wallace as Frederick Douglass. Thank you. We'll be back in just a few moments. <laughs> You're listening to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. Here again is Colin Hanna. Welcome back to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. I'm your host, Colin Hanna, and my guest today is Phil Darius Wallace in the person of 
Frederick Douglass, <laughs> talking about American independence and our national celebration of that on the 4th of July. You just gave us the, the prologue, the beginning of the powerful speech which he gave. Uh, give us some more highlights of that speech, a two-hour speech. Give us eight or so minutes of, of what you think is, to the 21st century ear, the most relevant portions of his speech. Sure. Shall we look at this day with its popular characteristics from the slave's point of view? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, it is a day that reveals to him more than any other day of the year the gross conduct and cruelty to which he is the constant victim to him. Your celebration is a sham. You know what is a swine drover? I'll show you a man drover. They inhabit all of our southern states. They perambulate the highways and crowd the highways of the nation in droves of human stock, armed with pistol, whip, and bowie knife, driving a company of a hundred men, women, and children. These wretched souls are to be sold singly or in lots to suit purchasers. They are food for the sugar mill and the deadly cotton mill. Mark the sad procession as they move along, and the savage wretch who drives them. See the old man with locks thin and gray. See the young woman whose shoulders bare to the scorching sun. Her briny tears falls on the brow of the babe in her arms. See the young girl of thirteen weeping as she thinks of her mother from whom she's been torn. The crowd moves tardily. Heat and sorrow nearly consumes their strength. Suddenly you hear a quick snap. That sounds like the discharge of a rifle. The fetters clank. The chains rattle. Your ears, it's looted by a scream that seems to have torn its way into the center of your soul. The crack you heard was the sound of a whip. The scream you heard was the mother with the babe. Her strength had faltered under the weight of the chains and the child and the gash in her shoulder tells her to move on. Follow the sad procession to New Orleans, attend a slave auction, see men examined like horses, see the frames of women rudely and brutally exposed to the gaze of American slave buyers. Tell me, citizens, where under the sun have you witnessed such a spectacle more fiendish and shocking? Yet this is but a glimpse of the American slave system as it exists in the ruling part of the United States. But it is just here that I'll hear someone in my audience say, it is just at this moment that you fail to make a favorable impression upon the public mind. If you would argue more and denounce less, if you would persuade more and rebuke less, your cause might be much more likely to succeed. But I submit, where all is plain, there's nothing to be argued. What? point in the anti-slavery creed would you have me argue? Am I to argue the point that the slave is a man? Nobody doubts it. 
Slave owners themselves acknowledge it in the enactment of the laws of their government. They acknowledge it when they punish a slave for disobedience. There are 72 crimes in the state of Virginia which, if committed by a black man, may subject him to the punishment of death, while only two of the same crimes, if committed by a white man, will subject him to like punishment. What is this but the acknowledgement that the slave is a moral, intellectual, and responsible being? Southern statute books are filled with enactments forbidding under severe fines and penalties the teaching of a slave to read and to write. When you can point to any such laws as it relates to the beasts of the field, then I will consent to argue the manhood of the slave. Americans! Your Republican politics, as well as your Republican religion, is fragrantly inconsistent. You boast of your love of liberty, your high civilization, your pure Christianity, while all the while the whole political power conspires to hold in bondage three millions of its countrymen. You celebrate fugitives from abroad. You, you honor them with banquets, you toast them, you salute them, you bless them, but of your own fugitives at home you advertise, hunt, arrest, shoot, and kill. You mourn fallen hungry. You make her wrongs the theme of your poets, your orators, and your statesmen till your gallant sons are ready to fly to arms to vindicate vengeance against her oppressors. Yet of the ten thousand wrongs committed against the American slave, you enforce the strictest silence and would deem him an enemy of the nation who makes their wrongs the subject of public discourse. You say we all are created of one blood under one God and that every man should love men everywhere, yet you notoriously hate those whose skin is not colored like your own. You proclaim before the world, and before the world proclaim these truths we hold to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and have been endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and that of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yet you hold in bondage a seventh part of the inhabitants of your country. Friends, the existence of slavery in this country brands your republicanism a sham. Your humanity a base pretense. Your Christianity a lie. It destroys your moral power abroad. It corrupts your politicians at home. It saps the foundation of religion. It makes your name a hissing and a byword to a mocking earth. Well, that, again, was incredibly powerful. The focus that Douglas makes is on the inconsistencies between the words of the Declaration, the words of the Constitution, and the reality of slavery. The interesting thing to me about Douglas as one of the most influential figures really in any of American history, and, and he does sort of follow the arc of the nation, mm -hmm. uh, is, is his ability to both 
excoriate uh, the nation's hypocrisy and at the same time argue for reform from within Mm. rather than revolution from without. Mm. Uh, Tell me what your perspective is on, on Douglas being able to do that. Oh, wow. I'm so glad you asked that question. Uh, he was very com- passionate about the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence and this whole section um, that he does on the Founding Fathers and making the comparison. And so, and he was a reformer. Uh, his most famous speech was self-made man, which had nothing to do with abolition or well, slavery. We may get to that later in the sure. show. Well, and, you know, the thing is, is our idea of self-made man now is, is about a self-made millionaire. Then it was about the transformation of a man and utilizing that transformation to reform. And so Frederick Douglass was all about growth and in growing, utilizing his growth to reform and so he saw hope and potential for what America could become. Who studied Frederick Douglass? Martin Luther King Jr., mm. who also had a tremendous amount of hope for what America could become. And so Frederick Douglass approached these ideas based on what he knew America could become and what he hoped America could become. Uh, he was an example of what America could become. He was the wretched uh, slave in chattel slavery, experiencing all the evils and, and hells of slavery. And yet, not only was he able to uh, free himself and, and become completely legally liberated, but he took advantage of the ideas of what America is supposed to be all about, and went on to start his own newspaper, went on to start a bank, went on to became to become a uh, ambassador of the United States of Haiti in the Dominican Republic. Went on, he was the first uh, African American presidential candidate. <laughs> Vice, not, vice presidential candidate. Right, vice president. Right. Not, uh, uh, well, uh, President Obama was, wasn't vice president, but right. we forget right. about uh, Frederick Douglass um, being in that, that light, uh, you know, way before his time, you know, uh, 200 years ago or 150 years ago. Well, on the so. other side of this next break, let's come back and talk about Douglass's patriotism how he loved this nation that he also saw as deeply flawed by its continuation and legalization of the institution of slavery. We'll be back with more with Phil Darius Wallace after these words. You're listening to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. Here again is Colin Hanna. We're back with Phil Darius Wallace. I'm your host, Colin Hanna from Let Freedom Ring. And I am fascinated by the, the character of Frederick Douglass and how he was able to retain and even uh, develop a sense of patriotism, a love of this country at the very same time that the country was continuing to uh, not only uh, permit 
the institution of slavery, but actually enact a series of laws that, in effect, enforced it, such as the fugitive slave laws, which made it possible for uh, an escaped slave who gets into free territory to be captured in return to his ostensible owners. As a matter of American law, it's easy to understand why somebody who lived in that level of injustice would be opposed to everything about the nation that would permit permit such atrocities. And yet, he had a love of America, and he wanted to see her reform and throw off this moral, morally repugnant system. The interesting thing about the 19th century prior to the Civil War was that those people, many of those people who believed that slavery was a moral stain on the conscience of America concluded that what should be done is that the slave should be sent free, set free and then sent back to Africa, mm-hmm. sometimes called colonization or recolonization. In his early days, even Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. believed such things. Yeah. And yet Douglas, who at one point did consider the possibility of perhaps going to Haiti, not as an ambassador the way he did later, but as, as in effect, a fugitive, mm-hmm. uh, concluded that no, he didn't want that, even if it meant freedom. He wanted to be free in America. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of patriotism that most of us are never called on to express, mm-hmm. and yet and yet he did. Talk to us about that. Yes, absolutely. Um, Frederick Douglass, he believed, even though the America had the stain, he believed that in the slaves being free, that they would have an opportunity to take advantage of the, the ideas of uh, the Founding Fathers and what America is supposed to be all about. And so he believed that it would be better for the slaves after freedom to stay where they are because they understood the land, they understood how to work the land, and they understood what to do as it relates to to, uh, construction and and so forth. And so he did not want them to move to another country to start over with. Which was not home. Right, which was not home. And was not even ancestral home in some cases. That's right, that's right. Uh, uh, President Lincoln basically wanted him to be the leader there and would have the support <laughs> of the American government, uh, financial support, political support, moral, moral support. But Frederick Douglass refused because he said, here we've sweated, here we've shed tears, here we've shed our blood, here we've died. This country is as much ours as it is yours. And so um, he believed in the, the future of African-American people, the way that he saw his own future come to life. Um, and in many, many ways, we've seen that. Though we, there's still the struggle, uh, there's still elements that reflect uh, the, the sickness of racism back during that time. But Frederick Douglass saw some of what we're experiencing now, I believe, in his imagination. And I think even today, he would see us 
uh, would want us to go even further because of his belief in what uh, America could be all about. So he was very patriotic. Patriotic. He also, uh, in the Civil War, was very enthusiastic about his sons being a part of the 54th Regiment to fight. Many people know of that story <laughs> through the wonderful film Glory. Right. But many folks don't truly appreciate that Frederick Douglass was the person who persuaded Abraham Lincoln mm -hmm. that free black citizens should fight for the Union mm -hmm. and should be given the same wages as uh, white soldiers. Frankly, that didn't happen right. the way it should have, but mm -hmm. nonetheless, that was part of his argument that the Massachusetts 54th was really formed out of Douglas's persuasion on Lincoln. Oh, absolutely. And that the first two recruits, mm -hmm. or among the first several, but I think it might have been the actual first two recruits to the Massachusetts 54th, the black regiment in the Union Army, were Frederick Douglass's own sons. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, and Talk about putting your, you know... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, Frederick Douglass was haunted... Um, by a man that he felt a lot of compassion for, John Brown. And he, this is a wonderful story. Yes. Talk about the John Brown story, sure, and sure. Frederick Douglass. Well, because he was passionate. John Brown was every bit as passionate, oh, absolutely, about ending slavery, absolutely, as Frederick Douglass was, absolutely. But he had ultimately a pessimistic view. Mm -hmm. Uh, where Douglas had an optimistic that's view. Right. That's right. Uh, Frederick Douglass would say, I believed in the cause, but disagreed with the tactic. It was a suicide mission. But so John Brown just, was determined. Just in case some of our listening audience uh, doesn't know the, the basic details of John Brown and Harper's Ferry and all of that. Would you take us through that in, in short form? Sure. Uh, John Brown basically wanted to uh, gather a, a military of slaves to help him fight, uh, raid Harper's Ferry, get in control of the weaponry there. Um, and uh, the night before, he wanted Frederick Douglass to be a part of this. And the night before Harper's Ferry, Frederick Douglass went to visit John Brown. John Brown thought that Frederick Douglass was coming to say that he was going to be a part in a part of the, a part of this this act, and in, in, indeed Frederick Douglass was there to to persuade him not to to go that route. It was the same frustration, uh, the same um, uh, anger, I believe that that the founding fathers had as it relates to the English government that John Brown had for what was happening with slavery. But I think the difference is. The Founding Fathers was looking to, um, they had a more optimistic view of what could happen. I think John Brown at this stage in his life, uh, I think he, in fact, had a feeling that what he was going to do wasn't going to work, but that it would make a statement. And Frederick Douglass, when he came there, came there to convince him not to go that route, that it was a better way to use uh, that type of uh, passion. And, of course, you know, John Brown went through with it. And Frederick Douglass, I think, too, kind of questioned if, if he would actually go through with it. But when he went through with it and then was killed, 
it was something that haunted Frederick Douglass because Frederick Douglass ended up fleeing uh, because he was thought to be a part of the conspiracy. So that haunted Frederick Douglass because he caught the message of John Brown, which was that the, that the slave must fight for his own freedom. And so that was the message that he took to Abraham Lincoln, that if this is going to be about emancipation, we need to be involved with our own freedom. And so that was a part of what drove him to um, make sure that President Lincoln saw to it that that would happen. So they both had the same intensity of passion in response to the injustice of slavery. Oh, absolutely. But in one case, that passion drove John Brown to become a revolutionary, Mm -hmm. whereas the same intensity of passion drove Frederick Douglass to become a reformer. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And he was influential on Lincoln in persuading Lincoln that the way in which the fighting Yes. can and should take place would be within the context of of the Union Army yeah. rather than in the context of a revolutionary. That's right. Frederick Douglass looked at John Brown's Harper's Ferry event as a seed planted that would eventually lead to the uh, creation of the 54th. And so Frederick Douglass took what um, – and he had great admiration for John Brown – and it was completely blown away by John Brown. Um, and it's amazing that John Brown would go to that extreme, in a sense, die um, for the idea of slaves being emancipated. But Frederick Douglass took that, you know, Jesus said, unless a, a grain of wheat falls to the earth and mm-hmm. dies, it abides by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So there was a death there, and Frederick Douglass took that seed that died, and the fruit of it became the 54th Regiment. <laughs> well, it's all the difference in the world. We sometimes, in, in very trivial speech, talks, talk about the difference between a glass half empty and half full. Mm-hmm. That, that is a trivial way of describing the distinction, but nonetheless it, it, it rings true to our contemporary year that Frederick Douglass wanted to see the ideals of America realized, whereas John Brown and and Garrison at, at some point, too, came to the conclusion that the corruption of America that permitted slavery required the destruction of either America or or its constitution. Yeah, and let me just say real quick, hopefully before we go to break, we do have to, to make the distinction, though, that... Um, the, the, the heart and the passion of John Brown in particular, being a revolutionary, is the same heart and passion that the founding fathers had who were also yes. revolutionaries, except that the, I think the difference is the, the ideas of the founding fathers, it was almost as if they had a, um, a plan for a new nation, as opposed to tearing down the, the British Empire. It was releasing themselves from 
the British Empire to establish a new nation, and I think that that's the difference. And I think a lot of times when we think of revolution, revolutionaries, revolution is 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 mainly to go up against a government and to tear down or, or reconstruct the system, rather than setting up a new system of government. And I think that that was the difference. Well, Frederick Douglass took the place of reform, a reformer because he already saw that the that what America was to become was the greater potential. And to feed into that becoming was the greater pot potential. So, yes. <laughs> well, well said. Well said, Phil. Thank you. All right, we're going to need to take another break. We'll be back for our final segment with Phil Darius Wallace in just a few moments. To connect with our hosts, log on to LetFreedomRingUSA.com. That's LetFreedomRingUSA.com. Now, more conservative solutions to liberal problems. Here's Colin Hanna. Welcome back to Conservative Solutions for Liberal Problems. Uh, my guest, Phil Darius Wallace, has played Frederick Douglass uh, in a one-man show and has delivered a number of, of speeches of Douglass at civic events. Let's not just talk about the rhetoric of Douglas. Let's help our audience understand the remarkable history. He was born in 1818, so next year will be the bicentennial of his birth. At roughly age 20, he ran away. He escaped slavery, which was, in effect, against the law. He mm -hmm. ran away, was a fugitive, came through Wilmington and Philadelphia, ultimately to New York, and finally to New Bedford. And uh, some 20 years or so later, he wrote a book that was an immediate success. Mm -hmm. The book is called, referred to as The Narrative. Talk to us about that particular event and how it suddenly painted a target on Frederick Douglass's back because the Fugitive Slave Act was still the law of the land. Well, um, uh Frederick Douglass, when he was a fugitive, uh, was con constantly had anxiety about bounty hunters. Uh, he wasn't making a lot of money. He was really, really struggling. And he, came, he became aware of his ability to, to speak and his charisma, and people liked his presence. And every time he spoke about his story, he, he noticed that people were very, very interested. And so he had the idea of, um, and then also, too, because of how elo eloquent he spoke, uh, people didn't believe that it was possible he could have ever been a slave. Right, right. <laughs> so he made a decision that he wanted to write his story. And he was discouraged because they said, hey, if you do this, you're, you're endangering your life. And he went through it through with it anyway, and because of, uh, it was very popular um, to do slave narratives, and his was very dramatic and intriguing and had the perfect arc of a, of, of a story or of a great novel, and because of that, he was a very handsome man, um, he was six, two or three, football player, <laughs> build, 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 and uh, a phenomenal voice and presence. So he had star quality, and he had this this work that just 
shot. He be, he was loud. I I compare him. He was like the Jimi Hendrix of <laughs> <laughs> of the the nineteenth century. So, um, and then the way he told the story was very dramatic. He told it like an actor would. He became the characters in his story as he told the story. The book itself was a runaway success. Yes, it was. Uh, he subtitled it written by himself just to make <laughs> sure people understood. That's right. So ultimately, uh, the attention that the book brought to him personally uh, put him in grave danger. It did. Grave danger of, of recapture by the by the slave uh, hunters and, and bount- slave catchers and bounty hunters. So he went to the United Kingdom. He right. went to England mm-hmm. and Ireland, which was at that part uh, – at that time, all part of of the UK, mm-hmm. and began speaking on the anti-slavery speaking circuit uh, in the British Isles. That's right. And while there, uh, he became a, an immediate star. That's right. And developed such a following that, and I think this is almost a, a chilling, emotionally impactful part of his story. A group of British ladies decided that what they needed to do was to raise the money to enable Frederick Douglass to buy his freedom. <laughs> That's right. Tell us that story. <laughs> wow. Well, um, though uh, Frederick Douglass was gaining some fame here in America, as you said, it wasn't until he went to Europe where he really became a star. And um, he, he was, his life was in danger, especially with the Harper's Ferry event and several other events that had happened in his life. You know, his life had been um, taken uh, a couple of, almost taken a couple of times. Um, that when he was there and they saw how phenomenal he was, you know, it was just as it was when he was working on the, ships where someone said to him it's a shame <laughs> that you're a slave and so they had the passion to um, put together the right amount of money where he was able to come back and purchase his own they freedom. actually negotiated yeah. with his his so-called owner that's right and struck a price <laughs> but right. all of this only happened after they had decided that they could not persuade him to stay in england that's right they said you're free here stay here, mm-hmm. and and I think he found that somewhat appealing, but ultimately he concluded, no, I am an American. And then they raised the money, $711, right. and I forget how many cents, yeah. but it's a, and and I guess that's a conversion from, at that time, pounds. Right. Uh, that was, uh, that was offered uh, back to, back to the U.S. owner, and ultimately, the deal was struck so that he became, while he was in the U.K., a free man, mm-hmm. so that when he came back to the United States, he was free. That's he right. then went on uh, to become an even more famous lecturer, a major influence uh, on President Lincoln. You were talking earlier about one of those speeches that he gave called Self-Made Man. In our waning few moments, tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll bring you to the end of the story where Frederick Douglass gives his final major speech uh, right in our listening area for WNTP Radio. Sure, sure. Well, actually, his most famous speech was Self-Made Man. Um, today, it's the 4th of July, uh, what to the American slaves, 4th of July. But uh, then it was Self-Made Man. 
And um, everywhere he went, he was asked to deliver the speech. And this speech is like, a, I don't know if you all have ever heard of Anthony Robbins or you know, oh, Zig sure. Ziglar. Or oh, yeah. No, I know, I know them both. I, in fact, <laughs> it, I actually met Les Zig Brown. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Frederick Douglass' speech was more along those lines. I mean, it was a motivational uh, self-improvement. So give us in the, we only have three minutes left. Give us a, give us a little taste of that speech. Okay. Um, let me see here. We may travel far over land and sea, brave all climates, dare all dangers, endure all hardships, try all latitudes, longitudes, penetrate the earth, sound the depths of the ocean, seep the hollow sky with our glasses, and with other knowledge contemplate gorgeous landscapes gemmed by forests, lakes, and rivers, dotted with peaceful homes and quiet herbs, where art works her miracles in music, speech, and color, and... Designs are gates with higher ideas of civilization, but no matter how radiant the colors, no matter how glorious the landscape, no matter how beautiful the melody, man, when he considers his own powers and attributes, surpasses them all. Ah, that is an inspiration. <laughs> Interesting thing that uh, Douglas said early on, he was, he was taught by uh, uh, a cruel master in, in Baltimore, that reading and writing makes one unfit to be a slave. <laughs> That's right. And, and that was imposed on him as the rationale for why he should not uh, learn how to read. Right. But in fact, it absolutely does. Yes. It yes. makes one unfit to be a slave yes. because it unlocks learning. And one of the things that Douglas is most inspirational about insofar as the 21st century is concerned is his embrace of education oh, yes. and the importance of education, reading, and writing as a means of attaining freedom. Give us a few words of wisdom about Douglas, reading, writing, and freedom. I believe one of the greatest things, as a matter of fact, Douglas said uh, it was the greatest anti-slavery lecture he had ever heard <laughs> when he heard his, his slave answer say that. But what, what he discovered is, I believe, what we all need to discover. Uh, he was being taught uh, by the mistress um, how to read and to write but then she was forbidden and so he had to find his own way to learn to read uh, which he did and so his idea is that learning is induced it comes from the inside out you shouldn't just be reliant upon someone teaching you or giving it to you but you should go out and learn it yourself and I think that that is the, the, the education of the 21st century it's not just getting it from uh, someone who's teaching me, but that I will be willing to go out and get it on my own, along with someone teaching me, uh, because that is where his independence and his um, amazing growth and in intelligence came from, and I believe is what we need. That part of Frederick Douglass is definitely something that we need today. What a positive note on which to end. <laughs> Phil Darius Wallace, thank you so much for being a thank guest. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll be back next Saturday at 8 a.m. right here on WNTP 990 in Philadelphia. Thanks for listening to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems with Colin Hanna, president of Let Freedom Ring USA, promoting constitutional government, economic freedom, and traditional values. Log on to LetFreedomRingUSA.com to learn more. That's LetFreedomRingUSA.com. Go there and learn more. Take action. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The views and opinions on the preceding show are solely those of Colin Hanna of Let Freedom Ring and his guests.